Good morning. Today's scripture reading will be from Lamentations chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them, and my soul is downcast, downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for Him. This is God's Word. You may be seated. Good morning. I would like to welcome you all to the assembly this morning. But there are a group of people that I would especially like to welcome. There are people that are with us today that are watching and worshiping online. They are shut in, but they are with us. And so I want to look right at the camera, and I want to say, welcome, and we love you. Amen? I recently read a book on the life and death of baseball legend Lou Gehrig. In the 1920s and 30s, it was a Major League Baseball pitcher's worst nightmare to face the number three and four spot in the New York Yankees baseball lineup. You had Babe Rube, and then you had Lou Gehrig. And you couldn't just pitch around the Babe because another baseball legend was right behind him. But in 1938, Lou Gehrig's muscles started to waste away. And what everyone around and what he himself thought was just being in a slump, couldn't hit right, he couldn't field. His baseball game be- began to plummet. It all ended up being a lot bigger wall to try and climb. Life. It unravels sometimes. I know that's right. As the father of two incredible boys, there's something just amazing and, and so special when you see them for the very first time. It's an experience that simply just takes your breath away. What a gift. And since we're together as family this morning, many of you know that Christine and I miscarried this past month. And as parents, too many of you as parents who have experienced that, you all know that that's something that leaves you very hurt, very empty. But there were a few things that that drove that knife in just a little deeper for me. One of them was when we shared with our five-year-old what had happened. And he wept in our arms. Another one was when my wife shared with me a song about a parent's baby up in heaven. And the baby saying to his parents, don't cry for me. If you could see me now, you wouldn't cry. You wouldn't want to take me from this place. That pushed me over the edge. But there was a moment in time, just down the hallway from here in my office, on that fatal moment when we were told that there no longer was a heartbeat that we once heard, where I sat in my office on the couch, and a common passage of Scripture just gently strolled through my heart. Even though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. 
For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Oh, yes, he walks with me. In the book of Lamentations in the Bible, the writer here talks about his anguish and his sorrow as he witnessed the destruction of his beloved city of Jerusalem. And in chapter 3, beginning in verse 19, he writes this. I remember my affliction and my wondering, the bitterness and the gall. I will remember them. My soul is downcast within me. Yet I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will hope in him. Our sorrowful situations are great. They are greater than a slap on the back. They are greater than just trying to walk it off. They are greater than a bullet train that supposedly will get you to the Twin Cities of peace and joy in just a few days. It's a tiring trek through endless ranges of mountains, and for some, those mountains to climb are steeper, higher, and more treacherous than they are for others. And it's hard at times to even stop and catch your breath. They are greater than the song we so often hear on the radio, Hey, what what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Isn't that inspiring? Not really. But there is the hope in Jesus Christ that no matter how far it is to get there, and no, no matter how rough the terrain, the journey is, it's always there. It never moves. And as surely as the sun rises and the sun sets, it's just over the horizon. He is greater. And his hope is greater than my sorrowful situations. So, as God's people, he calls us to carry one another's burdens along the way. Our lives are not meant to accidentally run into each other from time to time, but to intentionally be bound together. He tells us to be devoted to one another in love, like family. To be filled with Jesus and to be his hands and to be his feet. To rejoice with those who rejoice. And also to mourn with those who mourn. See, it's not merely about my problems versus your problems or my victories versus your victories. This is about us. So, a few weeks ago, a brother from this church took me out for a hamburger. Of course, when we say a hamburger at Chris Madrid's with jalapenos and bacon on, we're not just talking about any kind of burger. We didn't go too deep that day in our short time. We talked a little football, talked a little Star Wars. That's when I did the educating. It was small, it was simple, it was short, and yet. 
so incredibly profound and inspiring. Having lunch with Jesus is, though, isn't it? And if my sorrowful situations weren't enough to try and tackle on a daily basis, there's always my sinful self to daily contend with. Yes, I've made some wrong turns in life. In 2004, I was engaged to a beautiful young lady, and some of you know who I'm talking about. You know her. I was a youth minister in Athens, Texas, and she moved down to move into our future apartment because it takes three months to renovate a bachelor pad, supposedly. But she moved in and on, so I had to move out. I got kicked out. But there was an elder and his wife who opened up their cabin out in the country, and they said, you, you can stay here for the next few months until you get married. They weren't there when I drove up that first day. They just gave me the instructions. When you pull onto the property, you need to take your first left, and then you're going to be going through some trees, and then it's going to look like you're going the wrong way. But don't give up. You're going the right way. So I pulled onto the property. I took what I thought was the first left. I went through some trees. And I came to this large pond. And on the left, there was this big embankment of sand and dirt that looked like maybe, supposedly, this could be a road that led to my cabin just beyond the trees. Everything inside of me said, you are going the wrong way. And so, according to the compass that I was given to me, I was going the right way. And so I proceeded on for a few feet. And I found myself at a 45-degree angle on an embankment on the opposite side of the pond, completely stuck. My life flashed before me. And I got out of the car, and I looked, at my, I looked at my car, and I could not believe my eyes. I could not believe what I was seeing. I was completely stuck. I mean, you see about, you've heard about someone having a foot in the grave. I had four wheels in the grave. The situation was hopeless. But I had just gotten a new cell phone device. Pretty nifty. And all it took was one phone call. And there was a man nearby who was there in no time. He had a truck. He had a cable. And to my amazement, he just completely pulled, completely pulled me out of there. And since he knew the property, he got me back on track. And he got me to my new home. And I tell you that story today because if you are here today and you are a sinner, let me tell you, you're in good company. Don't give up just yet. Listen to God's word real fast here. In the book of Psalms, we have David. David is talking here. In chapter 42, beginning in verse 1. He says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go with the multitude leading the procession to the house of God. How I used to do that. With shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior 
and my God. Flip over to chapter 40 real quick. In verse 1. David writes, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me. He heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock. And he gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to my God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. In the book of Romans, Paul is talking about a struggle with sin. And he says, who will rescue me from this body of death? And then he answers his question. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because of Jesus Christ and what he did for me on the cross, and because God has put that same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the grave inside of me when I was baptized into Christ, I can be rescued from my guilt, from my shame, and from the grip of sin in my life. Do you hear me? Oh, yes. He can pull me out. And he can get me back on track. His hope is greater than my sinful self. And he doesn't just allow me to settle with the muck of mediocrity. His call is greater than that. He walks with me. He talks with me. So, he tells us to help and encourage and spur one another on along the way. But there are people around me that sometimes I don't reach out to. I don't encourage through friendship. There are people whom I don't pray for. There are people whom I don't share Christ with. And the question that has recently got me thinking about that was this. Why not? And I've decided that the reasons are at least one of the following. You know, maybe I just think that those people are just beyond help. Or I really don't think they need help. Or you know what? I couldn't be bothered. I don't blame it on a lack of courage because if I really cared, then I would plead to God for courage. And he would give it to me. There is plenty of courage in heaven to be had. My cell phone. I lose it about once a month. Misplace it. But let me tell you, you can ask my wife when I do, everything comes to a standstill. Whatever I'm doing. I turn into a Navy SEAL. And I hunt it down until it's found. Because it's that important to me. It's mine. The story's told of a Navy submarine that hit a ship and quickly plummeted to the bottom of the ocean. Every rescue attempt was made to try and rescue that crew from their chamber of death. And during that time, a diver dove down to the submarine. He could hear something, a sound coming from inside the submarine. It was the Morse code. It was a Morse code being sent from inside the submarine. The same question was being repeatedly again and again. Just four words. Is there any hope? Is there any hope? The story is also told of two friends who were trying to go into business together and start a new business from scratch. And one of the friends was really frustrated with the other friend's work ethic or lack of, lack of initiative. And he, he finally just said, sometimes 
you can be completely hopeless. His friend was a little surprised. And he said, what exactly do you mean by hopeless? His friend said, well, let's examine the word. Hopeless. Less than hope. That's what you want. As Jesus walked on this earth, he was able to make out that common question that was beating from the depths of so many hearts. Is there any hope? And these were the same people who continuously had it echoed in their ears. You are hopeless. In the town of Jericho, there was that short tax collector, chief tax collector. And he wanted to see who this Jesus was, but he couldn't because he was just too short. So he runs ahead and he climbs that tree. He sits in those bleachers of branches. He waits for the Savior to walk by. And to everyone's shock and surprise when Jesus walks his way, Jesus looks up at him. He says, what are you doing up there? Come on down. I've got to stay at your house today. So that sinful tax collector comes down. Everyone is surprised and shocked, but Jesus, we're not told, it's not recorded, all the conversations that take place that day, but we are told the life-changing dialogue that happens at the very end. It's when this chief tax collector says, Look, Lord, half of everything I have, I'm going to give to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody, I'm going to pay them back four times as much. You know what Jesus says? Salvation has come to this house because this too is the son of Abraham. Because the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. He walks with me. Talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. Our hope is greater than any person, than any, any person that you and I will ever encounter. His hope is greater than our sunken submarines. So, I don't write people off. And I don't neglect them. I don't just drop them into my deleted file. I draw people around me of the picture of, picture of the love, mercy, and grace of Jesus Christ. We are to seek out, look out for, and reach out to each other and to others. And so I have to ask, what would it be like if over 700 people who get together just off of Northeast Loop 410 had hearts that grew just a few more sizes? What if God was allowed to come in and work in such a way that our hearts could no longer fit inside of our chest? What if God's love would run even deeper and ever wider? Surely there would be people that would say, man, I want me some of that. I got to get me some of that. I want to know the one who's behind that. It's time for us to stop just doing church. It's time for us to be the church. It's time for us all to play our part. It's time for us to stop dropping the ball because this is not the Dallas Cowboys. This is God's team.
quick story as I close today. When I was in college, I had a roommate who was six foot nine. I called him Little Joe. Not that his name was Joe or Joseph. I just called him that. And he told me one day that my younger sister was teaching him how to crochet. Which at the time I would have thought was a little funny, but I too at one time had wanted to learn how to crochet. It only lasted about five minutes of, of interest, but it was there. But a few years later, we were at the, we were at the same college. And he said, I want to show you something that I made for my future wife. He pulled me out to his car. He opened the trunk. And I kid you not, I was completely shocked. He pulled out a beautifully crocheted, beautifully patterned 9 by 10 foot blanket. It was amazing. Interesting enough, the wife he ended up marrying was not even 5 foot. And that's what Jesus does with his church. He surprisingly takes the most unlikely people and he crochets and knits them together in his grace and mercy. And he wraps the world up in his love. How can this church family, your church family, help you respond to God's love today? Why Why don't you turn the steering wheel back over to Christ? And let him pull you out of the pit while we stand and while we sing. And alone.